Welcome to Eastgate Church. I trust you'll find this message inspiring and encouraging for you today. So my word this morning is going to be on broken relationships and I seem to have left my um, my glasses in that office. Linda, could you go and get them? That's terrible, isn't it? I'll, I'll do my best to see, um, but there we go. What do we do without glasses? I don't know what they ever did in the past without glasses, but there we go. Glory to God. But relationships are the strands and ties I've got down here that holds us together as a people, individually, collectively, corporately, and nationally. It's the, it's, could we even say globally? Because that's what they're always talking about, global citizens now. So it's not just enough to be a Scottish citizen or a British citizen. It's a global citizen, the global citizens of the earth. We're all one people because we're all together on this planet. And this is what they're trying to achieve they can't even achieve it in their own countries, never mind their own families, but they want to do it globally. They've got a, they've got a hard job. But I've got down here, but love is the glue that, what, that reinforces, thank you, Linda, thank you very much. But love is the glue that reinforces and binds us together with cords that cannot be broken. That's words of a song, isn't it? We could write a song about that. I think somebody already did, isn't it? So... It's not enough just to have those relationships, but it's the love, it's the glue that actually binds these relationships together and makes them strong. For you who are in the building industry, it's a little bit like concrete, but you want, but you put metal, pieces of metal and steel in the midst of that concrete, and then you pour the concrete on it. Before you do any foundation, you've got to put the metal into the concrete, which reinforces it, so it strengthens it and gives it its strength. Because if it's not got the, the steel in the midst of it, it's going to crack at some point. And that's like love. But when you've, unless the love of God comes into it, that puts the steel and reinforces that and actually binds us together. Glory to God. Without the love of God, our love is imperfect. Hence the reason we've got all the problems around the world just now is, is because we lack the love of God, because we rejected God, we don't have that love, and I'm talking about the bigger picture here, and um, that that's what causes all the problems, because we haven't got that love that reinforces us as a people. It's imperfect. Hence the reason that we've got all this brokenness just now in relationships. I'm sure all of us have maybe got a bit of brokenness in relationships how many marriages are crashing just now? How many friendships? You ever had close friends and then they've been broken and there's something's come in and broken up that relationship with you or whatever that might be. You've been part of a group and it's broken up. People leaving churches because relationships were broken and then they've left. The whole world, the whole life is sometimes just littered with what broken relationships. And we need to work hard at relationships. And these relationships actually can only be reinforced when we bring God into our life. Hallelujah. Now the Bible says this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will wax cold. I think that's the days that we're living in just now, isn't it? And um, the love of most seems to be waxing cold, especially even just even in marriages, which is the number one relationship actually is families that are being torn apart, are being actually broken apart, which was never God's intention. Or how many other times, even nationally, we're seeing disturbances even and broken up in who we are as a people. All the trouble that's just taking place in Ireland, everybody's wondering what's going on, what's going on. And they're, they're trying to blame on, you know, the bully boys, the far right, just the idiots that took advantage of a situation so that they could break any shops and fling a few, shall we say, uh, firebombs and, and create a lot of disturbance. We've seen that not so long ago, remember, in England and Wales. Never did seem to come to Scotland when chaos just erupted. 
and they're trying to blame it on one thing or another. But what it was, was people are finding that their nationality is threatened. You know, the Irish were feeling a bit threatened. They've got too many people coming from different cultures in particular that seem to be warring against their culture. I do believe that, that we, we struggle with Islamic culture and our westernized culture or our Christian culture are incompatible when they come and they're reinforced with an ideology that they want to establish their culture on top of our culture. If that's the case, they should never have came here in the first place, that they should remain in a culture predominantly that suits them rather to try and come and to superimpose their culture on ours. And maybe you think some of us might think that's a bit strange to say that. Listen, we, we have to realize we have a particular culture of who we are, the glue that holds us together. And what we're seeing is, and I believe it's a strategy of the enemy, it was a strategy of the Azarian kingdoms and Babylonian kingdoms. When they came and they conquered a nation, what they did was they took the people from that nation, from that land, and they took them to another land, and they brought the people from another land and they put them into that land so that they could mix the cultures to break that glue that held them together, that identified to them. You know, somebody says, I've got a wee tartan um, suit on here today that is, I'm a very proud, I'm a Scotsman, glory to God. I thank God as a nation that we can open up our doors and we can be a haven for people who are struggling in other places. Hallelujah. Thank God people are living in God-forsaken places and they're looking for some place to come to that they can find safety and a haven that can be a place where they can find peace. And you guys in your own battle, that's why I love the name of the haven. It should be a place coming from maybe a, a background when all hell is breaking loose that you can go and you can find some place, you can find some peace and some stability. And thank God we can offer that to people that come into our country. But not if they want to come in and reinforce their culture on ours and start to make demands, which I don't feel that they've ever right to do. They should be, just be grateful and thankful that they've found a place of peace when I went and I served in a place called Surush, which was over there next door to Syria, it was in the bottom end, southeastern of Turkey, and I felt a burden for these people, felt a burden for them. And I went in there and I took a month out and I served amongst these people. I still correspond with some of them as it is today. And my heart went out to them because of the brokenness, because of the suffering that they had actually been subjected to. And, um, and, and I would love to have, I, I mean, I tried to bring, I mean, I, I tried, Linda can verify that. I tried to get some of them into the country. Douglas Alexander at the time was still with Labour and he was a foreign secretary. And I kept writing letters to him and I says, you know something, you know, these people are really genuine people who just want to have a better life. They want to get out of a terrible situation and they were in a terrible situation. And we were going to put them up, weren't we, Linda? And we wouldn't have cost the state anything. I would have become, I would have brought them into our house and looked after them. Do you know why? Because they were decent people who were subjected to a hellish situation. I was in that hellish situation. There was a whole family lived in a lockup. I mean a lockup. You can imagine a car lockup, you know, one of these lockups outside your house and you open it up. A whole family lived in there. No running water, no nothing. They had to actually just use little things to, uh, to, to do their business in during the night. And I remember the daughter saying to me, says, it's terrible during the night when I hear my father having to use the toilet. They were stuck in there with nothing and no, and no one. Hallelujah. And they were looking for a haven. Glory to God. Do you know, there's a lot of people like that out there, hallelujah, that we need to open our hearts up to. And so I'm not a, a racist in any manner of means, but what I want to think, uh, we, but we have a particular culture that we need to be defending. We have a culture that we need to be, that we need to stand up and defend, hallelujah. It is our Christian heritage that has been corroded for a long time with many things that comes in. You see, Satan wants to come in and break 
that apart. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It wants to break families apart. And we're seeing that taking place just now like never before. Families have been broken, smashed. And I read out Alice Bailey's 10-point plan, a deliberate plan by Satan himself to destroy the Judean Christian family. That's what they want to do. They want to come and they want to destroy that. Destroy it. And they want to bring something else in. And that is the work of Satan. He attacks the very core which God established, which was family. Or breaking up friends. He wants to come in and split. It's divide and conquer. You know that terminology? You come in and you divide and you conquer. You bring, you cause people to fight against each other. And you bring in different ideologies that creates what? Division. But God never wanted us to be divided. He always wanted us to be united. Hallelujah. And we're seeing this. Let us never forget the strategy of the enemy. The Bible tells us that he's a thief who comes to what? To kill, steal, and destroy. That's the nature of Satan, to kill, steal, and destroy. He is the ultimate one who wants to divide. He's a liar, and he's a father of lies, the Bible talk, tells us. He also walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And this is the nature of the evil that we have today, this unseen force that comes to war against us, to destroy us, to divide us, to make us fight against one another. I say that often, sometimes, and the devil can turn and he can just sow seeds into your, into your mind, and then before you know it, you're divided on a particular issue. And then you war against each other because of this. And then once he's sown those seeds, he just backs off. He doesn't have to be kicking around too much longer. You're going to self-destruct if you take a lot of this stuff aboard. And we need to be very careful what we actually receive into ourselves he hates us with a passion and I mean with a passion do you know that Satan hates us with a passion see for all of these Satanists out there and people who have given themselves to the dark side and freely worship the devil do you know they say it's one of the biggest growing religions is actually satanic worship the occult growing like nobody's business and people are getting drawn into it because of all the dark things that allows them to do as Alistair Crowley says, instead of thou shalt not, he says, do what thou shalt. Meaning, just let your hair down and do whatever you want to do. And he did accomplish many things. And that maybe appeals to the fallen nature. That's what kept me away from God for a long time. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Michael, that's why I never joined the army. Because I didn't like getting told what to do. I was making all the wrong choices, thinking I was making right choices. But I was living like an idiot, like a fool. I want to take the drugs, I want to do this, I want to go and sleep around, I want to do this, I'll do what I want to do. And I was making an absolute hardship, but I wouldn't admit it to myself, thinking I was having fun. Fun? I was making a right mess of my life, and deep down within the pit of my heart, I knew it. I was a wreck, but I couldn't stop the train, keep moving on a particular direction. You ever get that way, and you start something, as Barbara Gascoigne says, I've started this all finish, and you're on this course, which you want to know to stop but he is the one who hates us with a passion do you know why because we were created in the image of God now the Bible says we were created in the very image of the living God we had God bearing the image of God himself glory to God and God loves us and this is what we have to know and hear that God loves us and sometimes you have to look at yourself in the mirror. And I love what Tony said yesterday when he came to a very low point. That man shared his heart with us. You know, Tony at one point was living on the crest of the wave. He was living the dream. At that time, he was a very accomplished footballer. He was having, he had the money, he had the big house, he had the family. 
but everything was probably breaking in on top of him. And he got to such a point, he lost everything. He lost his wife, lost his son, four, who was diagnosed with cancer at the age of six and a half. Little Tony died, and it broke him, smashed him, caused his marriage to crash later on. And then he found, he went to work in Livingston. He told us all this story yesterday. And um, he says, he invested a lot of money in Livingston Football Club. Way back then, remember, there was a kind of a consortium that came in Livingston. Some people might remember that. Tony put all his money, or put a lot of his money into that, get sucked into it by some sharp talking, smooth talking businessmen, and the whole thing crashed. And Tony found himself, he lost everything. He says he found himself for a year. He says he was living in a house, he couldn't even wash himself. He says he was so depressed, it was unbelievable. He was in a dark, dark place, a dark place. And for a year he sat there and he just utterly just lost all hope, lost all the reason to live, not quite ready to throw himself in front of a bus, but he just got to the end of himself. And then he says, he, he, at the end of that, some people you get a bit of encouragement. And he, he says, I always remember this. He looked in the mirror and he started to speak to himself. Hang on, I said, look at the state of me. Look at the mess I'm in. And he started to look after himself and some other people encouraged himself. I says, I can, I can do better than this. And he started to talk himself up. Do you know something, guys and ladies, this is what we have to realize. We're so good sometimes. See, when you're down, we talk ourselves down, don't we? We give, we, we, oh, it's hopeless, there's no hope. Listen, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. And we can rise above whatever circumstances you can rise above. I don't care what your problem is, but with Jesus, I can climb that mountain. Glory to God. And I need to say, I'm going to conquer you one day. Remember, many people said that about Mount Everest. I think it was, um, it was the guy that, that actually eventually conquered it. It was many tried, but eventually a day came when someone conquered the mountain. Hallelujah. Got to the top of it because they were determined to say, I'm going to conquer that. Guys, we've all got mountains that we need to conquer. Hallelujah. And we need to just fortify ourselves and say, you know, the day is coming when I'm going to get to the top of that mountain. Hallelujah. Glory to God, whatever that is. And in Christ, we can do that. But the devil comes to discourage us. He comes to crush us. He comes to destroy us. And that's what he desires to do. He wants to destroy us. He wants to, he wants to humiliate us. It's not just a point that Satan wants to kill us, which he does. But it's like the cat playing with a mouse. Sometimes he plays with us for a bit and, 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 and takes great delight sometimes when he just gets you into a terrible place. It's like, do you remember when you were training your dog? I don't know if you used to do that with your dog. You know, the dog made a mess in the house and the way to train your dog not to make a mess in the house. And I'm sure some of you dog lovers will probably batter me, you know, but you'd get the dog with a scruff of the neck and you would rub its nose in it. And then you usually we'd fling it outside and then say, right, get the message. Anyway, that's the way I was trained, and probably that's what, what I did, okay. But I like in that as well. But that's what the devil does, isn't it? We get into a mess, and then he rubs us in the mess. He rubs our noses in it, humiliates us, destroys us. There was two men there the other day there, and I've been reaching out to them. David, David McKendrick, and his friend Steve, Stephen. And the two of them are just ruined with drugs. I mean ruined with drugs. And I've been trying to reach out to them. They were passing the church the other day there. Had them inside the church. Made them a cup of tea. And there's the two guys sitting there in front of me. I made them, he says, you want a biscuit? And they opened up the tin of biscuits. The tin of biscuits vanished. <laughs> Three sugars in each of the cups. And I just sat there and I smiled. I mean, like, it's not a biscuit. So I'll give you a tin each. The sweetness. But you know, my heart went out to these guys. 37 and 42. I went, guys, look at the state. Look at the state of play here. 
come on, men, we could do better than this. And they want you to do better, you know, they really do. They've been through a couple of programs. I says, why don't you just come in here? I could introduce you to some good guys. I could introduce you to maybe a place. It could be the right place for you guys. It could actually be the, it could, it could help you. But again, they're not here. They never came on Saturday. I hope they were coming on Saturday. But do you know what? I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to keep praying for them. These two guys from Eldersley. We can see the mess. Everybody can see the mess. And it's as if, you know, you just see them staggering around. They've been banned from this end. They've been banned for the gym shop across the way. And David says to me, he says, well, I didn't know why I was banned. I walked in. He says, you get out there, you're banned. He goes, why? What for? And they, they, he says, you come in here the other day. You walked up to one of the shelves. You opened up a, a can. You guzzled the whole thing. Then you started to eat something else. And we flung you out. Doesn't recall it. Doesn't remember anything. Under that state of drugs and illusion. And it just keeps getting them into trouble. But that's what the devil does, doesn't it? He just wants to humiliate us in whatever position you are. Women can get caught up in the red light district of theirs. It's easy to point your fingers at prostitutes. Someone thinking, Do you think any woman grew up thinking, I'm going to be a prostitute? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get myself into this particular state? Of course she didn't. But she get drawn into something. And then the devil humiliates them, doesn't it? And then this humiliation that comes through that. But she's trapped in a cycle. But there's one who can set her free, hallelujah. But she's lost that relationship. She's lost herself. She's lost all kind of relationships. And that's what tends to happen, isn't it? The devil wants to what, isolate you. And that's what a roaring lion does. The lions are not as big and tough as you think. They hang around in the grass in the long places looking for someone to deliver. And generally, they always look for somebody that gets separated from the pack. And then when they attack, the thing is they will separate and they will divide. And then they will divide them from the whole I want to tell you this, you better stay close to a good group of people. So God gave me a dream many, many years ago. I was a young Christian. And in the dream, I was down at the stream and there was lots of people. There was all the church. It was one of those sunny days when you're out there just enjoying yourself as a fellowship. It was a dream I might had. And, um, and then everybody seemed to go back up to the big house at the top, of the, the top of the hill. And I was left myself down at the stream. And then all of a sudden, I became aware of evil. There was a presence in the dream, and I, I remember that, you know, you, you know, when you scared you, the hair's got in the back of your neck, and I was like, and then I looked around, there was these five, I always remember it, five puma cats, black puma cats, and they were circling me, and I just knew they were wanting to eat me, they were wanting to kill me, these things were ferocious, and they were determined to kill me, and I remember, I, I was like, and I grabbed, I remember grabbing some stones and, and throwing them at them, but it, was not deterring them, you know what I mean, just kind of hit them a wee bit and then they were just, they were moving in. And then what happened was everybody came running down the hill to my aid and guess what, they scattered. And I remember the Lord saying very clearly, you need fellowship, you need fellowship. And this is indeed bouncing off with Charles. Charles, you really blessed me this morning, bouncing off that, we need one another. We need to be in fellowship, we need to be together. Together we're strong. And we need to realize that I need the strength. Even Brian's saying that as well. It's so easy how to get discouraged and wants to break fellowship. And I've just pulled back a little bit for church. Can't be bothered going. And, and we just, I'll just stay in the house tonight. And then before you know it, a week comes in. I'll just stay in. Before you know it, you're out of fellowship for a couple of weeks. Guys, we need the fellowship. We need one another. We need that relationship. Because Satan wants to crush that and break that relationship. Glory to God. So we can always see these things you see the trouble is God loves us and the devil knows that God loves us and ha that's why Satan hates us not only does God love us but God's got a plan for us did you know that God's got a plan for us it's not just oh God loves me but do you know that God had a plan 
for mankind, and that includes women as well, in case you think I'm being sexist. It means all of us. God created us. He didn't just create us just to fill the planet and that's it. We're all just going to just bob around and get on with life. There's a plan and purpose for God creating us. God wanted us to be his family, to populate the earth, to be his people on the earth. Now, we don't get told too much about the angelic world unless you want to read some other books. And I read Enoch as well. I've not got a problem reading the Apocrypha and some of the other books. But I accept the Bible as the, the word of the living God. Hallelujah. But there's other writings as well that gives us insight. If you want to believe that there's some insight coming through the books of Enoch. And it talks about that angelic realm. But we know there must have something took place. Who knows how long the angelic realm was there before, before God created man. We know they were there. It says the angels rejoiced when God brought his creation of the earth and created us. So we know there was the angelic realm and they were functioning. Who knows how long that they were around before God created man. We know there was a rebellion. God allowed the rebellion to take place. We know that, who knows? Everybody says a third, but there's not a defined number how many actually rebelled. But we know there was a great number anyway who rebelled against the order of God. And now when God created man, that they realized that God was going to do something with this man that he created. And they thought, not in our shift. And they set out to what? To attack and to destroy us. We read that a little bit in the book of Genesis. We can turn to that, chapter 3. Because I'm talking about relationships and broken relationships, whatever that might be, between friends, between husband and wife, between father and children, mother and children, or what we could say even just even communities. You can see all of these things broken that we see in life. But it all stems back to the first broken relationship was, was with man's breaking his relationship with the living God. And we see that just a little bit there in chapter 3 of Genesis. It says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he came to the woman and he says, And God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent says to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day they eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw the tree was good and for food, it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And their eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. Therefore they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And we can see here again this broken relationship Sometimes we have to maybe read, and I don't like to go beyond the text and read into a situation, but I would like to suggest to you this morning, that was more than just her drooling with a salvific glance when she seen this beautiful fruit and went, oh man, that, I need to eat that. You ever get that way with chocolate sometimes? You know, you just get, or maybe it's curries, whatever your fancy is. You ever just, oh, I, 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 you know, and you raid the fridge one night late and you, and you just need, I need to eat that chocolate. Sometimes you get a bug for something, you know, and you, you know, that's why you kid yourself on sometimes. I'm just going to go and make a cup of tea, but that's a lie. I'm making a cup of tea because I want a bun. The tea is a disguise to the bun or the chocolate. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've ate so much here and I, I feel bad eating another bit, but if I have another cup of tea, it helps to get the rest of the chocolate or the bun or whatever that is. We've all got these urges. Now, I believe that that wasn't just in a flash moment that there she was floating about the garden and however big the garden could have been, the Bible doesn't give us its dimensions. 
And there was many trees, there was many fruit trees, because they ate of the fruit, they were vegetarians at that particular time. Now, I believe Satan was more active for a period of time, and she was being seduced over a course of a period. The Bible says it was the woman that was deceived, it was not the man, and actually, that has been said in the New Testament as well. Sorry, ladies, but that's what you know, Paul brings to our attention as well. But he attacked the woman, and he came through the woman to deceive her and to seduce her, if you like. And so I believe there was something more than just a moment of weakness and just looking at this apple. Thought, okay, I'll take a bite of an apple. We can, no, we can always make those mistakes. I think it was far more than that. We need to read in more to that. It wasn't just a case of the fruit that God says not to eat of it, but it was more than that. Because then he goes on, he says, for God knows that you, as soon as you eat of that fruit, you will be like God yourself. So I believe there was more going on. Just that one day, Satan just didn't say, right, I'm rebelling against God. And all of a sudden, all the angels just immediately joined him. There was a period of time when there was an open rebellion taking place and God was allowing that to test the rest of the angels. Doesn't say it, but it must have been. It wasn't just one moment that he just decided and he was cast out and all these other angels were. There was obviously, there was discontent in the heavenly realms. And now he is now seducing this woman. And she now is thinking an idea. She goes, wow, she goes, we could be like God ourselves. I can be my own. I can make my own decisions. I can be my own boss. You, you will be like God himself. Is that not the spirit of pride which is there, that I can be my own man or my own woman? I'm a man's man. I don't know if they say that with women. Do they say, I'm a woman's woman? I think it's more a man thing, isn't it? I'm a man's man. And um, that kind of lion-type mentality a lot of us guys think we've got. We just need to go and look in the mirror sometimes and realize, listen, we're just a lump of flesh, guys. You know, just a bunch of bones. You know, we try and hee-haw and think we're the greatest things and slice bread. But what I tell you this, those muscles will fade eventually. Um, eventually, when age will humble us, we realize, listen, who the, who the heck do we think we are? We're mortal. He is the great and the glorious one. We have to have a good look at ourselves. So we can see here then the situation goes and we know that she eats and the man eats and their eyes were opened and now all of a sudden they realized they made the biggest mistake of their lives. You ever did anything like that and you, you made a mistake and you just, you know, you thought, you know, you, you make a decision and then it's only laterally. After that, you actually, the aftermath of that decision actually unfolds and then the rest of your life you look back and you think, man, what a mistake I made. Well, if, I think we've all made mistakes to a large extent, you know, and, you know, mine was just acting like an idiot and not sticking in hard at school and listening to what I was getting told. I look back in that and go, what a fool I made of myself. I could have did a lot better with my life and I, t I took a wrong course and just ended up another idiot in amongst all the idiots I was running about with. And you look back and now you're condemned with, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I could change things. Glory to God. And there's many people like that. And I'm sure maybe, who knows what Adam and Eve must have thought in the aftermath now. And it says when God comes and judges them and they're cast out of the presence of God, the relationship is broken. That relationship that they had with God has now been broken. That broken relationship with the living God. And it says God now casts them out. God rejects them. And they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. That's what the Bible tells us. It says God gives them the boot and they're kicked out. But God still keeps his, a relationship with them. But it's no longer the relationship that they once had with him. It's a broken relationship. But thank God that God was in the business to mend that relationship. Thank God there was a God who had something in reserve. He wasn't caught unawares with man's 
rebellion. But God had a plan from the beginning of eternity. Hallelujah. There was a Savior. There was a Lamb of God. And, and the Revelations tells us as well as Hebrews. It says the Lamb of God who was slain from the beginning of creation. But God had a master plan. Hallelujah. To redeem us. To bring us back into that place with relationship with him that was broken. Sometimes I wonder, God, why did we have to have that broken in the first place? Why, Lord, did you put that silly tree in the garden? If we didn't have the tree in the garden, we wouldn't have a problem. But actually, it was bigger than the tree in the garden, wasn't it? Because then you could say, well, no, actually, the tree was not a problem until the devil came. So why did you allow the devil access into the garden? Why did you give the devil access into the garden, knowing that he was going to tempt the man to eat the tree? Because the tree wasn't a, pro a problem until this tempter came. Amen. Until the tempter came and started to tempt them in the desire to eat of the tree. So then I could say, well, God, why did you give the devil access to the earth? If they rebelled, why would they not just fast forward, put them in hell, and you created the new, the new earth, and we, were, we, were, we would have been fine? Or would we have been fine? See, the problem is, when you've, God gave us free will, he took a chance. That's the biggest problem, or the biggest mistake God made. If you let me fast forward that a little bit. He gave us free will. And for us to have free will then we have to have the choice to do right or to do wrong. Hallelujah. We could actually follow his instructions. I could say, sack it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. And so God had to give us free will. And for free will, had to be tested. And man failed in his free will. He, he took the wrong option. And then the repercussions of that were, well, we'd seen them up to the present day. The repercussions of that when man doing his own thing. Man thinking that he could run his own life. The man thinks that he could be his own boss. Well, let's look at the state of the world from that day when man crashed all those years ago. We have seen that. But the good thing about God is that he has been anxious to what? To bring us back again unto himself. I'm going to finish with some of, one of the parables in Luke 15. You could jump up to me. Meet me there, Luke 15. The parables. Thank God for the parables. Stories that illustrate what great moral and spiritual truths. I might add to those who have got ears to hear what is being said. Isn't it interesting? Every time Jesus spoke, he says, he, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying unto them. You know, there's many voices in the world. And funny enough, it says that God's voice sometimes to be a still, small voice, you know. You ever hear those still small voices, isn't it? It's louder than noises that want to tell you to go and let your hair down and go and have a good time. Do this and do that. The world screams at us, doesn't it, to do all the wrong things. But when you hear the voice of God, it's a very still small voice, you know. But for those who have got ears to hear, and I trust you have ears to hear even this morning. We start with the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. But because of time running away with us, we're going to fast forward to the parable of the lost son. And Jesus tells them a story. He says, a certain man had two sons, the younger of them, said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his life and gave him, divided them between his sons. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with the prodigal living, or one version will say wild living. But then when he spent all that he had, he rose and there was a severe famine in the land and began to be in want. Then he went to join himself with the citizens of the country and they sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose, came to his father, saw that he was still a great way off, and his father saw him and had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring me one of the best robes, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf in here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to make merry. It's a wonderful illustration of the work of the living God. That God wanted to restore the son, but the son had rebelled against his father. Now we don't know what was taking place, but we can read between the lines. And I think you'll forgive me for that. And I think you would agree with me. Obviously the younger son was unhappy in his father's house. He was under the rule and law of his father. And he was rebelling against that. He was getting upset with that. It was bothering him that, you know, that he was having to do as his father said. And he was, it was bugging him. Play by the rules. And he was probably looking over the walls and looking over at the world, the bright lights. You know, I was saying that everybody liked to look at the bright. The bright lights are always sparkling, aren't they? Especially at Christmas time. They sparkle. They're beautiful. The bright lights. Remember that saying, everybody used to run to London to the bright lights of London. Well, I don't think the lights are that bright in London. But it was always a place of escape. I'm going to go. I want to go. And I want to escape. And it's always better over there, isn't it? And, and, and I'm fed up not being doing, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And you're, you're controlled by the law. I'm sick of this law. Fed up with it. Go to church every week. Sit there. Just say your prayers. Come home. You've got to say your prayers. Give thanks. And before you go to your bed, you've got to say prayers. And, and, and he was maybe getting sick of the whole thing. And he was looking over at the, the people who didn't, were, were unrestrained. Thought, look at they're having fun. Man, they're having a great time over there. Look at that party life. Look at all the things that they're allowed to do. And I'm not allowed to do any of it. And he was beginning to look at the forbidding life that his father was trying to say to him, son, don't go there. Don't go there. You know, some of my children are not with me today. Do you know why? Because they were looking at the outside world and they were sitting in this world. And I made them sit here till they were 18. I made them sit here till they were 18. And then when he got to 18, I says, well, you'll make up your own mind. Because I remember we were in the village hall just next door before we, God blessed us with this building. And I used to see my boys. They'd be sitting there in the back seat. One of my dad's going to finish speaking. Since the meeting finished, boof, we're out the door. Can I stop them playing with the lads in the street? And then they start working and then they're rubbing shoulders with the world. And the world looks good, doesn't it? It's got a veneer. Looks great. And then you just seen, and then when they got to 18, I said, right, you'll have to make up your own mind. You are free agents. Make up your own mind. You're either going to be wanting to be in here with your whole heart, or you're not going to be in here. And then they would miss a couple of weeks, and they'd be there, and they would miss another couple of weeks, and they'd be there, and then guess what? And then they just faded out. I don't see them here today. Although my heart still cries out to them, like the father looking for his son, looking for his son who was in a faraway land, Looking for their return. Thank God I had one of my sons here yesterday to hear Tony Fitzpatrick. And thank God I've got a grandson here today. Albeit he's still a bit young, but thank God he's here. A deposit. Then maybe his father's going to find himself back in here and a Fidelia in here as well sometimes. And maybe our father will find himself back in here and bring their wives with them as well. 
But they went away to the faraway land. I want to tell you this, this world, I want to tell you this, has got away. It'll turn around, it's like, it's, what is it the Bible says about wine? It sparkles in the glass, but in the end it bites like a viper. It will destroy you somewhere down the line. Hallelujah. That world has got nothing to offer us, friends, but it sparkles. And it gives the appearance of, wow, this is a big playground. I want to be out there. But it's got a way of kicking your teeth. And here's the prodigal son. He's over there now. It doesn't say how long he's away, but I suggest he's been away for a good while. He said a lot of money. And the father gave him his money. You think that was a foolish thing for the father to have done? Because he's obviously, he's, 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 he's going to take off. The father sees the son's ready to move, but the father still gives him it anyway. No, if what somebody says, you've got, to make your, you've got to make your mistakes in life. You're going to be held accountable. The son came at an age, and he's going to have to make himself accountable. And he has to go away. But you know something, you know what I realize in God? Sometimes God will let us go away so that he can bring us back. Amen. And this son, although he was sitting in the father's house, but his heart was not in the house. His heart was not right. And the father knew his heart was not right. And the father had to release him. And says, you make up your mind, you make your choices now. You know, sometimes we can try and hang on to people for far too long. Sometimes I've got to go out there into that white blue world to learn the true meaning of life. And it says, when everything goes, he lost everything. Funny enough, that's what really spoke to me and it reinforced the word which I was planning to speak today. Tony Fitzpatrick says, Tony says, I had everything. He says, that big house I dreamed about, I got the very house, Thornley Park. It says, and I had, my, I had my wife, I had my children, I had fame. I played for Scotland. I had the money. I was enjoying life. And then he made a fatal mistake and he lost everything. Everything he lost. And there he was lying in some flat, just couldn't even bring himself to wash himself. Hallelujah. He got brought very, very low to a low place. But thank God he bounced back. Now, that wasn't an actual story that Tony was telling us, but there's a spiritual dynamics to that as well. So then you have to get to such a point. Now the son is ready. Now the son is broken. That's why I've called it broken relationships. Now he's in a place where of brokenness. I want to tell you this, when we're all kind of full of the, 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 the bees and full of the, the life, you think I'm invincible and, I'm, and, and you think I'm all, I'm all sorted. But I want to tell you this, when you can hit rock bottom, my friends, that's what I tell you this, that's when you have become vulnerable. And now here's this man, now he's lost everything, everything's been taken from him. Then you realize who your friends are, your true friends. Easy to have friends when you've got lots of gear, lots of money, lots of panache. But I want to tell you this, when you get stripped back and you've lost everything, that's when you'll know who your true friends are. Many times you'll be struggling to count them in one hand. Hallelujah. Unless you belong to a good church, I might add. Glory to God. Unless you belong to the Lord, you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Hallelujah. Even we can forsake him. He's waiting in the wings for us. Glory to God. And here's the illustration. So now he gets to a point of brokenness. He's reached rock bottom. Listen, rock bottom's a good place to get to, guys. Because you can't go any lower. You ever get to rock bottom and you get to the end of yourself? That is the best place you could ever find yourself. When you get to the end of the road, and you go like, well, where can I go? And then you hear the still small voice of the living God. And then he, he, in the place of brokenness, he says, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And the servants, my father's house, not better off. I didn't realize how well I was off in that house of the Lord. I didn't realize actually what I had. Do you ever find that, guys, ladies? Do you never really know what you've got until you've lost it? And then when you've lost it, you go like, God, 
I can see that with your health. Do you know the number of guys I know are maybe get one leg missing and one thing or another through drug addiction, other wrecks? You want to see the state of these two guys that came in here the other day? Honestly. They ruined their bodies, ruined them, ruined themselves. Coughing and spluttering and wrecked their lives through their habits. He got to the end of himself, hallelujah. He goes, I didn't realize what I had until it was gone. I want to tell you this, your health is everything, friends, and once you've lost it, you've lost it. And you can get to a point of brokenness. And this man, now he's in a place of brokenness. The Bible says, Jesus actually says in the story, he found himself working with pigs. Well, that's as low as you can get. That's even lower than actually probably drug addiction to a Jew. For the pigs were the, the ultimate, it was the ultimate pig style for a Jewish man. Now he finds himself, he's working with pigs, feeding pigs, and he wants to feed himself in the food that the pigs are eating. That is as low as he can get. From that point, he becomes so broken. And now he starts to now he starts to say, I need to go home. You see, the work was done in the man in that place, in the pigsty. Now he came to his senses. Now he realized. Now he was broken. Now he got on his knees and he cried out to the living God. And he starts crying to God and says, oh God, please forgive me. I'm going home. It's time to go home. It's time to go home. It's time to make amends. I'll go back to my father and say, I'm not even worthy to be called your son, but just make me like one of your servants. Now he's in that place of total repentance before God. And then he sets off on that journey. I love that journey. I, you know, I just, I love that journey. Now he's, he's, now he's making his way back to his father's house. Glory to God. He's making himself back. I need to get back. And do you know the wonderful story is? It says the father's seen him coming. Do you know what that tells us? That God is looking out for the lost sheep. God is looking out for those that he cares about. He's waiting. He's waiting for them to come to the point of repentance, to come to them senses and says, I need to get back in touch with God. Hallelujah. And this is what God is doing today. Thank God that God is taking his time and he's not destroyed this world. Because he could easily have destroyed it because of its wickedness and its sin. If he destroyed the world pre-Noah, do you think he shouldn't have destroyed this world? If he destroyed the world because of Sodom and Gomorrah and the perversity and the wickedness, do you think he shouldn't be destroying the world we've got today? blatantly glorifying all this wickedness, parading it in our streets, throwing it in the face of God. And yet God restrains himself. Why? Because God is still waiting. Hallelujah for his children to come home. He's still waiting for the prodigals to come back unto himself. Do you know how many prodigals are out there that have been raised in churches and now they're in the world? Do you know how many prodigals? Do you know how many churches have closed? Who people grew up and they get fed up in my father's house. I want to do my thing. And I might not get trapped in drinking drugs. They could be staying in some penthouse. They could be making money and money's their God. They just love to make money and power and glory. Me, mine. I've got penthouses. I've got rollers. I've got Rolexes. I'm a self-made man and they're rejoicing and all of it. And you know what? They don't even realize how pitiful that is. Remember the rich man, the parable of the rich man? He says, listen, all my riches, what am I going to do with them? He says, I'm going to have to bring down, knock barns down, building bigger barns. And I'll put all my goods into there. Isn't it amazing when you go to some of these rich people's houses, they'll go out and they open up their garages and they've got 40 cars in there, rollers and uh, Ferraris, and they'll show them off. I've got everything. And yet the Bible says, you fool, this very night, your soul will be demanded of you. There's a lot of rich fools, my friend, that have had everything but are dead, are dead because they chose the wrong road. But God is reaching out to us. God wants to mend relationships, guys. 
God is in the business of sorting out relationships. Amen. And the most important thing is your relationship with God. That's first and foremost, is I need to get right with God. I said to some people, I was going to use these two logs. I've used these two logs or two branches here. See these two branches? And they're down there. I need to take a wee bit longer just to reinforce this point. Amen. Some of you have heard me speak about it. I've used it. I used it at my daughter's wedding there just recently again. And I'm going to tell you the story behind them. <clears throat> After my daughter's wedding, Linda and I went up to Inverary. And this is where these two branches came from. Inverary. Our 25th anniversary. And do you know something? That was nearly 11 years ago. And do you know, I forgot where the place was. I had, I had, in my mind, I thought it was a river. It wasn't, it was locked fine. It was a lock. And as we went and tried to retrace our steps, we're retracing our steps to try and find, right, and I knew it was up at this caravan park where it all began on our wonderful honeymoon, love. Terrible caravan, but it was a wonderful honeymoon. It was a wreck. <laughs> Nothing like your lodges, uh, Charles, this place was a wreck. <laughs> I, I, it was terrible. But anyway, love is blind. And um, so that day, 25 years ago, on our silver anniversary, so we went back up there and we went to try and find the place. And here we were. I walked up and we got to the place and we stood in the pebbles and it was next to Lock Hall. Lock Fine, thank you. <laughs> and we revisited it. And on that, on that day, the story being was, we renewed our vows to one another and I thought, let's get a branch and mark this occasion, Linda. So we did, I had a wee letter. I'm, I'm not usually romantic. Linda will let you know that. And I'm not necessarily always good with words, but kind of quite poetic it was, wasn't it? And um, anyway, and I, I, read, I read mine to Linda, and Linda had prepared something for her. And the two years, and the 25th anniversary of silver, we were renewing our vows, one to another, just remembering them. And then I remember I picked this up, and I says, right, we'll take that with us as a wee memory, and we walked further down again, heading back and to, to the caravan, uh, well, just towards the caravan, and we realized we forgot the log or the branch. So I ran back up to get it, left Linda sitting there as a gentleman does. And when I went back up there, I retrieved this, but I thought to myself, I need, maybe I should try and get another one um, for Linda, one for hers and his. And um, so I did. And when I ran back up, I, I got this one and then I started looking around. I thought, I'll, I'll try and get another one for Linda. And as I looked around, I looked further up and I seen another branch, something similar to that one. So I went, well, brilliant, I got the two of them. And now I'm walking down to Linda, back through the trees. And as I walk down, I'm walking down to meet with her. And, um, and on that journey, let me see if I can get this here. And on that journey, as I walk down... I realized, I looked and I thought, hang on a sec here. This was, with, was without a word of a lie, I, I tell you, this is the case. The two of them were in two different locations on that pebble beach. And I realized that they actually were the same branch, but they were broken. And they fit perfectly together, look. And they were separated. We hold them in their very, they're very precious to Linda and I. But this is what I want to say to you. I want you to use it. I've used it at weddings twice, used it at my daughter's wedding. But I want to use this now in a spiritual terminology. We were created in the image of God, brothers and sisters. 
All of us, we were created to have a relationship with God. And in the beginning, we had that relationship. We were spiritually alive. We were connected to God in a very special way. And God's plan and purpose that we would have went on then and populated the earth. And everybody would have had that unique relationship to the living God. But our fathers sinned. And that relationship, I see, that relationship was broken, was broken. And we were cast away. But God sent his son, hallelujah, to renew the relationship. God sent his son to this world to get a hold of you and to bring us and bring us to the father and unite us again with the father. That's the father's heart. He weeps and he cries over this fallen world, over to those who were, he created to have a relationship with them. And in God, in Christ Jesus, you can be united to God again and that relationship again can be restored. Do you know that's the heart of the father? He's waiting for humanity to come to their senses that they will cry out and realize their lost estate and say, what on earth am I doing here? Look at the state of my life. And I don't care if you're staying in a penthouse. I know a lot of miserable millionaires. A couple anyway. <laughs> don't know that many millionaires, but I know a couple. And they're miserable. They're miserable. See, money can buy you love is an old Beatles song, isn't it? But I want to tell you this, it's true in one sense, isn't it, that um, the God of this world is money. But no, Satan is the one behind it. And it can't buy that love, which is true love, which we all require, is the love of God in my hearts and my life. God wants to restore relationships today. And as we finish, I want to tell you this, if that relationship, if you have not got that relationship with the living God, then you can have that relationship with the living God. You just have to come to that place in your life when you will come to your senses and say, look, I need God. Maybe you're the prodigal son that my children were and they walked out the door and they're still out the door and God is actually waiting for you to restore your relationship with him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You need to get connected to the living God, especially in these days in which we're living in. God is calling us back into relationship with him. Hallelujah. If you know you're not in relationship with God, you need to make your you need to get that connection again with him. You just need to come again and just come to that place where you're going to cry out to the living God and say, oh, Father, I need you. Oh, Father, Father, I call out to you. And when you call out to the living God, I think Charles actually said that, didn't he? And it comes from the book of James, but I think it says it maybe in Peter as well. It says, come near to me and I will come near to you. I think I've said often to many people, you take one step towards God, God takes two steps towards you. Do you know why? Because God is anxious in his heart to bring you to himself. That's why when it talks about the lost sheep, it says, you know something, he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one that's lost. Maybe you're the lost sheep, you're stuck out there someplace in some grazing mountain. And he's out there searching for you. You know why? It says, it says, one, it says the heavens rejoice when one sinner gets saved. Isn't that amazing? In the heavenly realms, when somebody comes and acknowledges Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that the very angels are rejoicing in the heavenly realms, singing and glorifying God. Because a soul is very precious to a living God, and God's not willing that one soul will go to a lost eternity. He desires to win them all. Jesus is very jealous for the price that was paid. He gave his blood that we could have life. Glory to God that he could forgive us. And he is determined that he will have his full church. Glory to God. Amen. Can we finish in prayer? Hallelujah. 
Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you, Father, that your love is immense, Father, for your creation, for man, who you created in your own image. You breathe your life into us, almighty God. And Lord, we broke that relationship with you. But Father, we thank you, Lord God, that Father, that you are anxious, Lord God, to restore your relationship with us. We thank you, Lord God. You know we are but flesh. You know, Lord God, Father, our weaknesses. But Lord, you're still committed to, Lord God, Father, to, Lord God, to redeem us. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, today. I thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Lord God, Father, to pay the ultimate price of his life that we might have life. I thank you, Father, Lord, that sin, Lord God, Father, Lord God, separated us from you. But Lord, you had one, Lord God, Father, who you would send, Lord, who would pay the price of that sin, removing it, Lord, that you could restore your relationship with us. Father, my heart's cry today, Lord God, Father, is for your people. I pray today, Lord God, Father, for your people. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you, Lord God, I pray right now, Lord God, Father, you will speak to their heart, you will touch their heart. I pray you will bring them to their senses in the precious name of Jesus. Even just in this place of prayer, if you know that you have not got that relationship with the Lord and something's touched your heart today and you want that relationship, put your hand up and I'm just going to pray for you. Don't look around to the, to the left and to the right. If you know you've got a broken relationship with the living God, then put your hand in the air. Put it right up so I can see it. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. Amen, guys. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Is there anybody in here, and yes, you would, you know, you've been sitting in church, you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, but you know your relationship's not right with the Lord. I haven't even got time to expound older brother, but maybe another time I will, I might tell you this, but you know that relationship's kind of broken, and you want to mend that relationship, then you put your hand up as well. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. You know, it takes... It takes a lot of courage to put your hand up in there. I was there many, many years ago to acknowledge that, you know, I'm not where I should be and I want, I want, to renew, I want that relationship strong with the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Is there anybody else? Because we're going to finish with a word of prayer here. Guys, I'm not going to put you in the spot, but you put your hand in there. I just want you to come out. I want you to pray for you. If you put your hand in there, come out just right now. We just take that step of faith, and we're just going to we're just going to bring this prayer before the Lord. Amen. Thanks for watching. If you've been challenged today, then please drop a message so that we can help, support, and pray for you. And also remember to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next message.